Good morning. Here we are on Latinx in the Inland Empire. I'm going to do a small reflection, audience and guest members, on where we've been since March. For a lot of us, COVID has been a heartbreaking experience. However, we've been able to build communities still virtually and online. Luckily for us, we have Zencaster, a virtual platform that is going to allow us to continue recording podcasts at Claremont Graduate University. This afternoon, we have guest Jenna Guzman Lowry, who is a Redlands resident and who is currently running for Redlands City Council District 4. We also have Ashley Canovas, who is Jenna Guzman Lowry's campaign manager, also based in Redlands, California. The reason we're going to talk today is because we, as we all know, over 73 million Americans have voted as of today. As of today, we are five days away from the general election in the United States of America. Good morning, Jenna. Good morning, Ashley. Good morning. Good morning. How are you guys doing in Redlands? I'm okay. Yeah. It's been kind of like a pseudo fall vibe. I know, but it's hot again today. Yeah. So I'm kind of bummed about that. I can't figure out what to wear. I brought out the sweaters and now I put on shorts. (laughs) Yes. Life in the Inland Empire, right? Where it gets like 80 and then 40 at night. (laughs) I reflect back to those like elementary school days where I wore you know, something for the cold and I was sweating in my own sauna by noon. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Good morning. So I wanted to talk to you both, Jenna Guzman-Lowry and Ashley Ganobas, uh, about your platform, Jenna. It seems very relevant, very exciting and future focused. And the parts of it that really are relevant to our audience at Claremont, as well as um, Latinos and Latinx in the Inland Empire, is the three three points that we'll talk about on the show. We'll start with civic engagement. We'll move to diversifying leadership. And then we'll talk about the crisis of homelessness in Redlands. So Jenna, before we start, I know we talked about a little bit about your background. Do you want to tell our audience um, a little bit more about yourself today? Um, sure. I struggle to talk about myself sometimes, but I think what's most relevant for this conversation um, is that I am a local Redlands resident, and I have been for the entirety of my life, except for some travels here and there. Um yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I'm hopeful that as we speak today, who I am will come out in that conversation. Um, I don't want to ramble too much about all of the little intricacies that make me who I am. But just know that I am a resident in Redlands and I care deeply about this community. Um, and one of my biggest motivations in life and in running for city council Um, is to create more of a focus, I guess, bring back the focus to the collective, to the community um, in ways that we can fortify and focus on relationships and how relationships are a healing force in the work that we do. Fantastic. I really liked your 
tagline on your website, um, Unity Through Community. Mm-hmm. As um, a fellow Redlands resident myself, um, I believe there's so much opportunity for community here. Um, but I also see a lot of obstacles in the way for community. Um, but I do know that Redlands is changing. Is that true? Like the demographic, Jenna? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So when you look at the statistics in Redlands, what we're actually seeing is a rise in blue voters, right? Not that not that it really matters when you're looking at the differences between red and blue on like an ideological, like massive level. Um, but it does matter in the sense that what we're seeing is a larger group of Democratic voters. Um, and we're also seeing that the median age in Redlands is 35 years old which means that the the up and coming generation those who are in the process of building their lives um, investing in business investing in careers wanting to set roots here in redlands are that millennial generation so what we're seeing is a rise in young democratic voters and that's very relevant to Redlands because over the last couple months, Jenna, as um, our community is now as seen, um, a lot of businesses have been closed. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people have lost their jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, we happen to have met at a new coffee collective, right? Um, yeah, slow bloom. So, slow, slow bloom, right? The former Augie's Union. And that really does also speak on what is happening in Redlands. Um, Who is still afloat? Who is going to be able to be the future leaders to ensure that we can um, have small businesses again, Jenna, like a small coffee house, for example? Yeah. And I think a perfect example or what we're seeing is really a microcosm of what's happening at large. And that's we're noticing, especially those, those younger ones, Um, of us who are seeing that like the old ways of the world, right? These like colonial structures of the self of individualism of like picking yourself up by your own individual bootstraps. Like that's such an antiquated and exhausted narrative in that you need each other, right? Studying mental health and being a, a counselor in training, I'm seeing in both theory and practice that human beings are interdependent interrelational species that need one another. And so when you see things like Augie's Union popping up and becoming slow bloom, and you have people like you and I, Eric, who then meet up at an event like that, what you're seeing is on display um, human connection and human need in action and how that is um, representative of what we actually need in our communities, which is to come together, to help one another, to help each other thrive and nourish those sort of wounded pockets of our neighborhoods. Yeah, I'm very inspired by um, everything that's happened at the slow burn operation. And I really think that speaks to the hope um, that that we have in Redlands. And also, like you said, the younger demographic who is taking the leadership and ownership 
Yeah. And you're seeing that um, not just on a community, civic, or business level, but you're also seeing it academically and interculturally um, in groups like Next Gen United or the Black Student Union at the University of Redlands, who mm-hmm. are literally taking to the streets to put theory into practice, to speak the message of reform, of abolition, of change that needs to be made. And they're doing it in an educated and graceful um, and impactful way. Definitely. So let's get our conversation, Jenna, back to identity, yes. back to language, back to who we are in Redlands. Jenna, one of my one of the most important um, stories you told me when we met was that you were actually born and raised in Redlands your entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, for our audience members, um, we really value that lived knowledge and lived experience that you and Ashley um, have. Can I speak to both of you of what radicalized you to move into kind of local politics? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I'll start just because um, I feel like a very radical human in general, and I've never really felt like I fit in because of that. So 2020 is actually great for me because I feel like um, – Things are starting to fall into place in ways that make more sense actively and as a disruptor of the status quo. Um, I grew up in Redlands with a single mom who has cerebral palsy. We, my entire like eighteen years of life, uh, was I lived under the poverty threshold. So for me, I've been radicalized for a while in the sense that I've seen the impact that social welfare programs and the lack thereof have on the the ability for an individual to thrive. Um, But I've also seen the impact that community organizations in Redlands have had on my lived experience. Places like the YMCA of Redlands, the Great All-American Youth Circus, the Community Circus Arts Corporation um, that sort of provided me with mentorship and food mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. relationships, um, which sort of speaks to the idea of collectivism and the impact that that has. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think, and also just seeing everything crumble before my eyes in the last two years really re- reiterated that radicalization. What about you, Ash? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> well, first of all, I will attest to the fact that Jenna has always been very radical. Uh, we met 13 years ago. Uh, we were in high school and, uh, I just, I think it's funny cause I, I look back and she was all, there was always a cause that she was like, you know, going for, you know, she was the first person that was like wearing Tom's like before Tom's really took off and became super mainstream. And she's like, we need to give shoes to these kids, you know, like, let's do it. You know, she's always been incredibly radical. Um, and that was not me at all. I was very much the opposite. I have no idea how we became friends. (laughs) I'm glad we did, but um, you know, I, I, I also grew up with like a single mom. Um, my mom, uh, comes from Argentina. So she's an immigrant. Um, she's able-bodied, uh, but we did not grow up very wealthy. We were in the lower uh, income bracket. Working class. Um, yeah. Lower working class for sure. Um, so we always had food on the table. Our needs were always met, but that was pretty much it. 
you know, nothing extravagant. We did not have, you know, a fridge in our garage kind of a thing. Like we cheese always, drawer. Cheese drawer. Like we moved from apartment to apartment. Um, I grew up with my grandmother raising me. Um, Multi-generational so household. Very classic in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and the my mom is a boomer. So the narrative in my home was always just the traditional one, um, which was, you know, just work hard, get good grades, keep your head down, get a good job. You know, that was the message that I received um, growing up. And so my MO, most of my young adult life, like my teenage years and the first part of my life was to do that, you know, to just get good grades, get a good job, work in corporate America. And so I did all of those things. You know, I, I had the right friends. I had the right grades. I went to the right schools and I did everything I was supposed to do, everything that society told me I was supposed to do in order to be successful and be happy and be safe and be financially secure and independent, right? All of these things that we all want, Um, except that I graduated in 2009. Um, Jenna graduated in 2008, and I'm sure you know what that means. So there was no security. There was no safety. You know, we did all of the right quote-unquote things, and still we inherited a society and um, an economy that we were barely able to work with. Um, and I was one of the lucky few that like, I did go to college and I did get a job right after school in corporate America. And, um, ultimately what radicalized me is that I, I did all of these things. Right. And I got lucky. I was always told how lucky I was to like have jobs and these things. Um, and, what I did was I dedicated my entire life to work because that's what I was told I needed to do. Um, and then I completely lost who I was. And then I still wasn't able to, you know, have financial security. I still was not able to, you know, ever have the idea of purchasing a home, all of these things, you know, I was still struggling, even though I was doing all of the right things. And I realized, wait a second, this system's rigged. What is going on here? (laughs) And so I don't think I was radicalized really until I would say probably the last like few years, very slowly. And then I think like most people, 2020 was the final nail in the coffin. But most of it was just, you know, growing up as um, now, and I guess an older millennial and realizing that, you know, the system doesn't care. Like you can do everything right and it's still not set up for you and me. Um in fact, it's working perfectly to do what it needs to do, which is to keep us down. Yeah. And when you're so self-focused, which is what like do- the dominant cultural narrative is, when you're so self-focused and you beat yourself down to like do this work, you forget that the whole purpose of that work or of being successful, quote unquote, is to afford a home, right? To have shelter, mm-hmm. to be able to provide beautiful experiences for your family, aka relationships, connectivity a sense of belonging. Um, And I think for both of us, we just sort of woke up one day and recognized that the quote unquote proper channels are not how it's going to work out for us. Right. And that taking from like the seventh generation rule, like that indigenous wisdom that we're trying to think about how can we make a difference Mm -hmm. for our children's children's children, Mm. you know, that we're borrowing this world and these, this earth and all of that from them. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, both of you, um, 
that was really, really heartfelt and very um, important for us to talk a couple about a couple of the themes there um, because they're very relevant to life in the Inland Empire. Mm-hmm. And that's class. Mm-hmm. I think for a lot of people who don't know the Inland Empire, right, um, they have a very misunderstanding of what life is like in one of the largest um, counties in California. Um, my dad is also quadriplegic, and um, so similarly, I, I have a disability lens as well. And um, Jenna, it seems like just through those lenses, um, as someone who lives in Redlands, I, I see there's so much opportunity, um, like you said, to make the future a little bit better. Um, mm-hmm. For example, I was talking to you about how I live close to Sylvan Park and how I've really seen that park change, Jenna, and mm-hmm. it's been really heartbreaking. Um, and it really touches on a lot of these human issues for people in the Inland Empire um, that are that are different. Um, for example, we live in a smaller town, right? So when we see homeless human beings we see them. Um, we don't live in a big city like LA, right? Um, I've been really touched by the homeless crisis myself um, and really alarmed at at, the, at what I see even just driving Jenna and Ashley from here to Claremont. Mm. Uh, do you think that the homeless crisis is something that is important to Redlands people? Um do you think that, that that message is getting out to the majority of people? Or do you feel that, that that's still not something that people are understanding? Well, I mean, it's certainly a, something that is on the minds of the people of Redlands. In a survey that was conducted, which, I mean, side note, surveys are sometimes problematic because who are you calling and how do you have access to like participate in the survey? But that's a side note. That's a good um, yeah. <laughs> the surveys show that it's the number one issue that people are concerned about, right? But there's a couple of layers there in that. What does it mean to be concerned about the situation? Is it a concern about the crisis of how property is affected by the plight of the unhoused? Or is it a humanitarian concern about the well-being of these human beings who are without shelter, which is a fundamental human need? So something that the survey fails to address is what is the intention or the motivation of the concern that people have? Because unfortunately, there, you know, you have two camps. You either have people who come from that dominant cultural narrative of individualism, rugged individualism, right? That this is a choice that people have put themselves here because they chose not to work hard or they chose you know, this difficult existence. And then you have the other side of it where people are concerned. They're worried. They want to help. We have organizations such as Family Services here in Redlands that does food drives um, and other outreach events to connect with that community. So I definitely think it's something that is a concern for Redlands, but it just kind of depends, speaking about class and culture, 
what side of the spectrum you fall on based of what your own intentions and your own desires are for your community. Um, and that's what's hard because when you start looking into what are the solutions for it, you're now seeing more of an ideological warfare between what is the baseline belief system and compass of morality that people use to make decisions about how we treat human lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jenna, one example is, and I'm sure you have an Ash- you and Ashley have seen this at Sylvan Park, um, was they built a beautiful skate park, but then they kind of um, closed the gazebo, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of walled off, right? With barbed wires, any place where a human being could sit, um, could gather shelter. Mm-hmm. And when I moved here eight years ago, Jen and Ashley, that wasn't the case. And like you guys, I'm seeing a lot of industry and money coming in, like the railway. and, um, But like, I'm very interested in the human lives that live in my community. And um, I do think, like you said, it is something that people are concerned about, Jenna. I'm really glad you talked about that because how do we take that concern and do something about it? You know, is it just working with family services? Um, Is it, is it, you know, electing Jenna, for example, Lowry? Um, It is. Yes, that one. (laughs) And that's the direction that I'm seeing people talk about that it, it is going to take a big shift, a radical shift, right, Ashley, um, to address the issues that are important to the millennial generation. Well, I think, <clears throat> sorry, I think that's exactly it. There has to be a a huge shift because, you know, talking about growing up in Redlands and being here, um, so I moved here when I was 10. So the first part of my life, I lived in New York, which is very, very culturally diverse. You know, I mean, I grew up in Queens, like it's one of the most diverse places on the planet, right? So many different cultures. And then coming right. to Redland, it's pretty white. It's homogenized, like <laughs> it's, milk. It's very wealthy. It's upper to high class people um, mm-hmm. who and so that has been the dominant culture and that culture has not cared. That demographic has not cared about these things in that, the way that we're talking about and they have been in power. And so the only way to make these changes is really a complete radical shift of who is in power and that those people actually care about fixing the root of the problem and not just brushing it off to the side and covering it up and mm-hmm. not just changing it because it's displeasing aesthetically, um, but because they care about human beings. Because I think the difficult part in all of this is that we see how COVID has shifted things um, mm-hmm. in a way. Illuminated all of the fractures. Well, not just, yes, but also how COVID has uh, created you know, ingenuity in like certain areas. Mm. Like something that really struck me is I was, mm-hmm. I was cruising the web, the internet, and I saw these little, um, these little like sort of 
plastic igloo type things mm. where people can do yoga. Outdoor and, yoga. So people can do outdoor yoga oh. in, and be protected, right, from each yeah. other because of the virus. So we can make these little makeshift huts and homes for people who want to, who can afford to do yoga, um, who have the ability to like partake in leisure activities, but we can't create small homes for people who have been displaced because of a system that has displaced them. Especially now, I mean, especially with coronavirus and how the economic impact of that has displaced even more people, even though the homelessness crisis was out of control before this, mm-hmm. you know, and yet we're still. Yeah. I think that's where you know. COVID and 2020 <laughs> has highlighted the disparities that we already knew existed, but are now on display in a grander way. And speaking to what you said mm-hmm. in terms of diversifying the representation, like why is it important to elect people of radical minds into local offices? Mm-hmm. Well, here's the first thing. Local offices is where you can make the most direct and localized impact in your mm-hmm. communities. And second of all, elevating the conversation and amplifying the conversation around disparate needs helps elevate the consciousness of your populace, right? Mm -hmm. So that when you have people in power who are aware of the humanitarian needs, we can start shifting, at least on a local level, from a fear-based narrative to more of a care-based and service-based narrative, mm-hmm. right? And that happens slowly over time, but it also happens from electing people, individuals who can then maybe cultivate mm-hmm. or collectivize the conversation around what is it that these community leaders need to have their needs met in their local neighborhoods, right? Is it a revamped basketball court like mm-hmm. at Texona Park, you know, mm-hmm. that just went up against the city council to see, oh, can we fund this so we can beautify our under-resourced neighborhoods? Representation and power matters because now you're diversifying and illuminating the needs of those who haven't been able to speak or were never handed the microphone. Yeah. Yes. And if I may add, the only way that that Mm -hmm. is possible with our generation is through community. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because previously, you know, the people in power, it's been a very insular sort of boys club, right? It's been the same people that rotate. They all know each other. They, yes. from mm-hmm. money. we're just going to be really candid here because at this point it's, we don't have time to, <laughs> to not be, we have to be really yeah. honest. With we don't this, need to that, be gentle. Yeah. There have been a lot of barriers to entry for mm-hmm. people to make real change because it's not beneficial to the people in power. It's beneficial to keep the same people, to keep that constant, to keep things as they are, because the people who are benefiting from it are benefiting um, tremendously. And one thing that we've, you know, we've discovered in this campaign, helping Jenna with it, is how many barriers to entry there are and how that is very purposeful. You Mm -hmm. know, it is no coincidence that it is very expensive to get started to put your, even your name on the ballot, you know, is a couple hundred bucks, you know, everything. 600 bucks. Yeah. So $600, you know. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? Yeah. And so it's sort of, we've gotten a, a, we were privy to all of this, like sort of background information and all of the behind the scenes of how even just at a local level. Through community, through mentorships, through relationships. And, and, but also just at a local level, like how politics is a wealthy person's game, a connected person's game. And, you know, luckily with Jenna, she's very connected to the community and she's very well known. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the only reasons why we were able to even get as far 
as we did, as we did is because she has a lot of people who have supported and who have donated, but fundraising, you know, I used to be unsure of as to like why it was so important. And now I see is because, you know, it does take money to, to do this. And so that for us made us realize like, oh, I see why the same people are always in power. I see why it is a, a certain type of person that goes into politics mm-hmm. that can afford it mm-hmm. because there is such a financial barrier to entry, you know, and our generation, we don't have a lot of money, but we want to make these changes. And so mm-hmm. the only way to do that, the reason I bring this up is because it has to be a collective endeavor. It has to be a community effort. We all have to get behind the right people and put them in power. And it is up to us and we can do it. We can do it if we, you know, choose the right candidates and we, we, we support the right people and we put our resources into that. And we hold them accountable. Yes. And ultimately also holding them accountable, but that's the only way that we can make these changes because if not, you know, the people who are in power, you know, they have the resources, they have the funding, they have the ability you know, they're motivated to, to vote, to get involved because there is self-interest there. Mm-hmm. So we have to motivate the rest of the community to also get involved and see that they, and, and, and make them understand that they really, we really can make changes. You mm-hmm. know, we can absolutely upend this, the system and completely overhaul it if we all, you know, stand together and do that. Ashley, that was really well said. And Jenna, thank you. Because as you both acknowledged, representation matters. Mm -hmm. And number two, so does power. And that is something at Claremont Graduate University that we study transdisciplinary um, in a transdisciplinary lens, looking at why power is given to certain people and why it's not given to certain people. And like you both said, COVID really is showing us locally on display, right? To use your words, what is happening here with those barriers, right? And how that's actually expanded, right? Power and power dynamics. Mm -hmm. Because it's really illustrated, like you all shared, who can do this and who can't do this. And a lot of that's based on what you guys said, power and money. Um, isn't that a democracy? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, it's really, it's, it, it's funny how, or not funny, but that power and representation, sometimes why is it that they don't go hand in hand, right? Right. And when I met Jenna, I, I thought, you know, Jenna, you are on display and it's such a, a wonderful thing to see um, as a fellow Latinx person um, because it takes courage. Mm. It takes courage to um, inform people of different power biases and how representation matters, especially if like we acknowledge we're in an old school. Mm. That's that's a real that takes a lot of guts. And um, you know, Jenna, I really believe in your platform and like Ashley acknowledged, so do a lot of people. Um, because it takes that courage to articulate these really difficult things that it's time to articulate. Yeah. 
So, um, yeah. And as the micro and as a microsystem, I really liked the way you looked at Redlands um, as a system where things are happening, right? But also where systems may need change, right, Ashley and Jenna? Yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. There is definitely a push in Redlands to assimilate, you know, um, to you know, Redlands is a beautiful town because we have so much community here, but it can at times be problematic um, in terms of diversity, which we've brought up several times, but there is definitely a push. I felt that I think growing up, you know, yeah, both Jenna and I, well, there's like that hegemonic element. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because, you know, there is a hierarchy, unfortunately, mm-hmm. and no one, it's human nature to not want to be on the outside of that. And I think both Jenna and I experienced that growing up. Mm-hmm. Like I probably even more so, cause we've talked about Jenna always being radical and running around barefoot, which is <laughs> um, really, really true. Wearing ponchos and things and um, <laughs> traditionally, <laughs> yes, quite. Um, but I, I certainly experienced um, a, a desire and a push to, erase my Latin background and assimilate into the white narrative um, because that is what was in power and that's what was what represented wealth and success and freedom financial freedom and security right you know um, there's a reason why there is a very big divide between north and south redlands and who do you see living in each area you know what and and when you're Mm-hmm. A young person trying to find their way in the world, you don't want to be on the wrong side of the tracks, right? You want to be on the right side. So you just want to do what you need to do to, to be okay. And so a lot of that involves erasure of identity and assimilation. And unfortunately, like I'm I'm very white passing. Obviously, no one can see me, but you know, I get I'm very pale in the winter. And so that was really mm-hmm. easy for me for a long time to assimilate into white culture and you know, in those years before I, I was radicalized, like I very rarely identified with that. Mostly also because there was no representation, no one that really was like me. Well, and that's right? like the, the so, element that's important mm-hmm. to point out is that when there aren't any um, Latinx individuals in leadership, it's difficult to look to what is av- available and mm-hmm. possible for you. Mm-hmm. And that's where representation matters. We talk about this in media, in the in books, in TV shows and movies, you know, sometimes it's, it's cast off as this like, you know, sideline ideological, you know, issue like, Oh, is it really that big of a deal? But it is. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a conversation I had um, when I was endorsed by Latinas lead California, Mm -hmm. which I didn't realize until later in my life, how limited the mentorship I had was in terms of like, Latinas in my community, Mm -hmm. you know, and that has to do again with like those situations of disparity and a lack of Latinas in power who I could, who I could see, you know? So then a lot of times when you're what, 14, 12 years old and you, you have a mentor that you just adore, you want to dress like them, you want to be like them. And so for me, that was like white ladies at the YMCA. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with that, but it definitely impacted my sense of identity and the ways that I internalized what is quote unquote appropriate and how Mm -hmm. am I supposed to show up in a meeting, right? Why am I getting written up for speaking my truth? In, yeah. a, in an appropriate way, but because that's not, you know, aligned with the hegemonic culture 
And that's both at a micro and a macro level because micro level, you know, we've talked about this, but like I avoided wearing hoops for so long because I didn't want to look Hispanic, right? You know, I wanted to white and now I live in them first of all we both do I never take you know I never take I'm wearing some right now (laughs) Um, and then at a macro level you know when you're a young person you're looking at politicians on tv you're looking at politicians even in your neighborhood and they all are older affluent white men you think there's no room for me and you don't you sort of write that off you're like that's just how it is but then all of a sudden these days we have AOC. Yeah. If we had had like an AOC younger, I mean, everything would have been different. And it sounds so. And uh, the Supreme Court Justice Sotomayor, no? Yes. Yes. You know, seeing women that may not exactly look like you, but have a story like yours and represent you is so powerful. You know, there is a reason why the dominant culture lumps us all into one category. There is a reason why. You know, they look a certain, the people in power have looked a certain way. It's because when you don't see yourself represented, you feel like an outsider and therefore you want to assimilate because no one wants to be an outsider. And that hasn't been celebrated. Being different has not been celebrated for a long time. Not truly, you know, outside of like buzzwords, like be yourself, you know, like truly differences have not been celebrated up until now. This is like, I I truly believe in my lifetime and I don't know if it's because now we're like in our thirties. Like, I don't know if is that's this what wisdom. It is. I don't know if that's what it is, but it feels like there is a celebration of diversity in a way that wasn't the case when we were growing up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like you guys have brought up so many important themes that are so relevant, Ashley and Jenna, especially that idea of consent. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm fascinated by that as well. Um, how do we consent as Latin American people to uh, living in the United States? Um, how do we erase ourselves? Mm. How do other people erase our, us? Um, why do we assimilate? How do we assimilate? Um, I remember when I moved here from Colombia, um, people would always say to me, Jenna and Ashley, Eric, you're so tan. And I didn't understand. <laughs> uh, but it was a it it was a very difficult thing for me to understand because I had to see myself in the mirror, right? And I had to see myself through that Western colonizer's gaze. Mm-hmm. I didn't like what I saw. Mm-hmm. And that is another reason we do this podcast. Because we want to tell all Latinx people and Latin American people that we live in a culture and a society, right, um, where we consent um, to a lot of behavior, right? Mm-hmm. Like I water my front lawn. Why? <laughs> I want to fit in the block, right, Jenna? Yeah. <laughs> so, but for Latin Latinx people, right, and people who are marginalized, um, it's really important for us to reflect on why representation matters. Um, and why it's important to talk about identity, to talk about language, right? To talk about culture, right? To talk about community, to talk about indigenous and indigeneity, because that's part of our lived lives. Um, and, uh, yeah. Yes. 
So is there anything that you guys want to close on? Anything that um, has come up this week that you're really looking at? Um, are you feeling hopeful about the election in five days, the presidential one? Um, what are your predictions, Jen and Ashley? I have no idea. My mom is also an astrologer, so I'll, <laughs> I'll consult with her later today. About Please do. Please do. <laughs> I mean, I will say that we are in Mercury retrograde and it direct, stations direct on November 3rd. If that's not telling, I don't know what is. <laughs> However, at the end of the day, regardless of the outcome on the local level, it's really important that I say that no matter the outcome, the energy will not be lost. Yes. Right? That smart dudo, I was it Newton, said that <laughs> energy cannot be created or destroyed. So that's how I'm feeling about this radical energy, right? Like regardless yeah. of the form it takes, it's going to continue moving forward. And mm-hmm. so that's where, you know, we talk about how Gen Z is mad and smart, right? I'm right. going to take the from those in the community who are already doing the work, right? If I don't, if this, regardless of the outcome, the work will happen and it will show up in ways that it's meant to show up. Mm -hmm. It will be organic. It will be community focused and it will be about what are the needs that we have here, right? In my spare time, I am finishing my graduate degree in counseling. My focus is on trauma and my interest is how do we heal these wounds, right? Mm -hmm. What are we doing to nurture the community and to really nourish it with its basic needs. And I guess that's my closing thought is we're, we're out here and we're going to do the work no matter how, what the package looks like. Agreed. I want to echo that for sure. You know, I think I, I don't think we talk about Gen Z enough and how they really are leading the charge and they really are mad. They're smart. They're connected. They're savvy. Millennials, are getting on board to their train. And I love that. You know, I don't feel badly about that at all. I think we inherited a very different world um, in our late teens, early 20s than they did. Um, and that required different survival skills. But, you know, I'm really hopeful for the future. I really am, because I think that this upcoming generation that is growing into young adulthood is um, is incredible. You know, they're, they really have embodied this like sense of community and like, you know, mobility as a a generation. Um, And I think regardless of, and also to echo what John said, I have no idea what's going to happen. Right. I, I know what I want to happen and what I think should happen, but if whether or not that will happen um, is so up in the air. I mean, 2016, we all thought it was that things were going to go very differently. So I have no idea. We should approach it therapeutically. (laughs) We should ground ourselves when we need to ground ourselves, focus, breathe deep, connect with loved ones. And And know that the fight is not over. Yeah. Get your boots to the ground and like get (laughs) whatever happens, you know, if, if things turn out the way that we all want them to, that's not uh, an excuse for us to, you know, sit back and relax and be like, ah, oh, we're good now because it's just not starting. Yeah. No, 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 absolutely not. And, and on the other end, if things turn out the way that we don't want them to, that's even more uh, reason to get out there and, and make these differences. And, you know, what Jenna said that you don't have to be in politics to make a difference. There's so much 
important and essential work that happens outside okay. of politics and that happens in community organizations and you know at a very micro local level and even interpersonally you know mm -hmm. the difference that you can make in your community as an individual is very great and so i urge people if you you know young people who are listening Lean into that, that. Yeah. If you're like, ah, politics is not my thing. Cause it's not mine. Like I would never do what Jenna's doing. Um, <laughs> everyone has talents. Everyone has skills. Everyone has something that they can contribute to society. There's a role that you play. Absolutely. In making a difference, whatever difference, whatever you're passionate about, there is a place for you to either start something or contribute to something that makes a difference in this society. That's all. Yeah. Wonderful. That was really well said, Jenna and Ashley. Um, I want to thank you for allowing us to be um, part of your journey. And um, you've really informed us a lot about important issues locally. And um, without further ado, from our virtual Studio 1B at Claremont Graduate University, this is Latinx in the Inland Empire.